For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mitchell Banks. My beautiful wife is our worship leader. Um, I think it's important, for one, I've met lots of new faces over the past month or so here at church, so I would just like to like formally introduce myself. But two, I'm going to share a bit of my testimony today, so I think it's important for you to know who I am because it'll help you understand uh, where I came from. Um, Our anchor verse for this whole message is Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Uh, And Luke covered this verse last week and the week prior, and I think it's, when we're in a season of harvest, I think that's a very obvious verse to cite. Um, But the part that sticks out to me, and as Luke was preaching last week, I was in my seat, and the the, the one phrase that kept sticking out to me, and as I prayed this week, um, I kept seeing that part, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And it was interesting to me that Jesus, this was not at a time where Jesus was by himself in the wilderness and he was, you know, just crying out to God like, oh Lord, I know the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. No, God is looking on a crowd of people and he's surrounded by his disciples, yet he says the laborers are few. And that made me think like, well, there's plenty of people around him. What does he mean by the laborers are few? And I think what Jesus is communicating is not that there are not enough people it's not as though there aren't people who could be laborers, but there's no willing people to be laborers. Or even so, if they are willing, are they equipped to be laborers? And today, that's the points that I want to talk about is, one, how do we be good laborers for the harvest? How do we prepare ourselves for the harvest that God has put before us? Two, how to recognize our opportunities for harvest Where do we have opportunities in our life in which we can share the love of Jesus with others? And then three, how do we train other laborers? How do we do that? So, let's dive into first, how do we be good laborers? Here, I'll make the sermon four minutes long. Go read your Bible and pray. Okay, bye. Have a great day. Like, that's really all it should be, is is read your Bible and pray. And I think as a very young believer, hanging out with a lot of um, older men who were far down the road in their faith would tell me, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I wake up in the morning and I see that little like word of the day, verse of the day, I read it and I high five myself and then I go and do whatever else I want to do. Like there is something to be said about being disciplined about reading the word every day. However, we have to understand that it's not just a box that we're ticking. There was a time in my life where I would wake up Brie will laugh at me, but, and if you know who, like, if you know me personally, you'll laugh at me because this is such a me thing to do, but I used to wake up in our apartment. It was still dark outside. We had a, a little chair next to our bed, and I would, I would wake, and I would go sit in the chair. I would strike a match and light a candle. I would open my Bible, and I would read my Bible by candlelight. I would read a, a chapter from the Old Testament and a chapter from the New Testament every day, and then I would close my Bible, and in such a holy way, I would pray to the Lord about how blessed and, and faithful I was to be waking up so early and reading my Bible. But, but, if I'm being transparent, a lot of that was me being able to walk away saying, yep, I did my due diligence for the day. I read my Bible. 
But God doesn't want us to read the Bible so that we can become um, just little knowledgeable creatures running about. You know, there's, you can ask anyone who's been to seminary, uh, Bo Bilsing over here, you can have a conversation with him. Um, a lot of people who go to seminary, uh, it's kind of a 50-50 split. They either become stronger in their faith and they move on to start churches and start organizations or they walk away from their faith. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they might know the Bible, like they could probably quote you verses in scripture, but they have not allowed the Bible to change their heart and who they are. And the reason that we read the Bible, again, is not so that we're little knowledge children and we can go on. What's that? Do you guys ever watch that old like game show? It's like, who knows the Bible or whatever? And they'd be like, what verse says this? And it's all these like college-age kids. Anyway, I digress. It doesn't matter. The point of knowing his word is because his word is where he displays his character. His word is where he lets us know who he is. So we read the word so that we better know him, not so that we can quote scripture at people. And then he asks us to pray, and the reason that we pray is because when we're praying, we're aligning our spirit and our will with God's spirit and will, so that when we know his character and our spirit is aligned with his, we can go out into the world and we can reap that harvest which he's placed before us. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, I was a little punk kid, and my buddies one night were like, it, we, we would stay at my friend Nick's house, and there was about five of us that would go over to Nick's house, and we would play Halo uh, on Xbox. But, you know, that gets boring eventually. So it was probably like one in the morning, and Nick's little brother, Patrick, I'm sorry that I'm like saying their names out loud. If you guys are watching, I love you guys. We're, you know, we were young, did crazy things. Um, um, but I remember his little brother was like, hey, do you want to go throw frozen burritos at stop signs? Like from our car, like somebody's driving and we are hanging out the window just like chucking frozen burritos at stop signs. Teenagers, I don't know. Um, and, I, and I, you know what I didn't have to do? I didn't have to go, gee, I wonder if my mom would be okay with that. Like I didn't go, hold on, and I, and I call my mom. Um, we're thinking about going to throw frozen burritos at stop signs. Do you think that would be okay? Like or would you be okay with that? Why did I not have to ask my mother? Because I knew my mother's character, and my mother would kill me. And then she woke up my dad, he would kill me again. Like, he would resurrect me, kill me. So, <laughs> so I didn't have to ask my mother because I was familiar with her character. Um, John Piper gave a really funny illustration talking about how we're supposed to pray ceaselessly, and through everything we do, we should be prayerful. And he brought up the illustration of like, you're at the grocery store, and you're trying to decide between with pulp or without pulp. So you bow down and you say, dear Lord, gracious Father, bless me with the knowledge and wisdom which you possess and I do not. Please guide my hand forth to the correct selection, which obviously is with pulp, and let me taketh it and consume it and be filled, amen. And he, he illustrates this ridiculous idea that like we have to spend every moment, every decision we make in this like 20 minute prayer session to make sure that we're making the exact right choice for God, right? And that's silly. I mean, it, first off, it's impractical and God is not an impractical God, but also it's silly because we should know God's character so clearly that when we find ourselves in situations, not with orange juice, but when we find ourselves in situation in which we go, what would Jesus do? Well, if we are spending time in the word, we know what he would do because we know his character. 
If we're spending time praying, our spirit is aligned with his, so we won't be, or we may be tempted towards making the wrong choice, but we have the wherewithal and the spirit within us to move within us to move our choices that we should be making. Also, if you're not drinking pulp in your orange juice, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, pulp just says fresh to me. Otherwise, it's just, uh, I don't know. Again, I digress. That wasn't in my notes. That's just a little side note, my opinion. Um, so that's how we become good laborers, right? Oh, and, and I touched on my quiet time. Let me tell you, or let me encourage you with your quiet time. Sometimes, if, if you're not currently doing a quiet time, or if you feel like, and I keep calling it quiet time, it's whatever you call it, spending time with God, uh, spending time reading, spending time praying. I've gone through so many different seasons. So if, if you haven't started one, or if you're in a space where you're just like, uh, I just don't enjoy reading the Bible, I don't really want to do that, let me encourage you by saying, like, do it anyway, because God will, God will lead you through circumstances and opportunities to where you will discover more and more about him. Again, I used to be little candlelit boy, read one, one verse or one, one chapter from Old Testament, one chapter from New Testament. Then I went into a season where like every day at my lunch break at school, I would, I would read uh, a portion of a chapter and then I would journal and I would like just tell God my thoughts. I would kind of pray through, through writing. Um, there were times where I said, oh, I can't really do the morning, so I'll do my, my quiet time at lunch and then at nighttime. And then it became like, I'll do all three. And then it became like after Hezzy goes to bed or like whatever. Like you need to figure out what's going to work best for you. Don't let people shaming, shame you into thinking like because you don't get up as early as they do and read their Bible that you're like less holy or something. You need to find what works for you. You need to do whatever it takes to put you into the word every single day. And if that's like physically opening your Bible, if that's listening, whatever, just consume God's word daily so that you can be prepared for that harvest. And that moves us into point number two, recognizing your opportunities. Uh, story time, I get to tell you a little bit about me and how much of a punk kid I was. Um, um, I grew up just south of Atlanta, Georgia, in the Bible Belt, uh, surrounded by Christians, at least professed Christians. Is this mic? I'm like hearing myself weird over here. Sorry. Um, I'm I'm surrounded by these people that call themselves Christians. My parents would have told you they were Christian. Uh, my family would have told you they were Christians. Most of the kids I went to school with would tell you they were Christians. Um, but the only true sign of that would be like if they filled out a census and they had to mark their religion and they would check Christian. We did not go to church on Sundays. I went to church less than this many times before the age of 18, um, and it was always to go to like my great-grandmother's church in North Carolina for like Easter or something. Never ever did my parents and I wake up on a Sunday morning and go to church, never. Um, but we were Christians, and my family were Christians. Um, I did not hear the gospel until I was probably 18 years old. I knew who Jesus was, but I had never heard the gospel. My concept of Christianity was, do this, don't do that, you go to heaven. Which was really strange to me, because I, as I got older, and you know, you're in your like early teens, and you start forming your identity, and I started looking at all these people around me who identified themselves as Christians, all the things that they said don't do, they did, and all the things they said to do, they didn't do. And I was like, well, that seems hypocritical, 
Why would I want anything to do with that? And I think that's our, our plight as Christians. I think most unbelievers, or non-believers rather than unbelievers, most non-believers look at us and what do they say? Hypocrites. They, do, they say to do one thing and then they don't do it. And they tell us not to do something and then they do it anyway. So as I, as I got into my early teens, I decided, like, I don't really want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want to be a Christian. Based off what I've seen, doesn't seem that great. And I certainly don't want to be a liar and a hypocrite. So I, t- I told myself, you are atheist now. You do not believe in God. It is what it is. And I wasn't, and, and again, I think the, uh, dealing with stereotypes, I think when we think of like atheists, we think like I was out like trying to like find Christians at the grocery store and like beat them up in the middle of the milk aisle. Like I wasn't, I was not angry about it. Well, I was, but like internally, but I was like, I wasn't militant. I wasn't like malicious. I wasn't like, I hate you Christians. I was just like, I just don't want to believe what you believe because it doesn't seem to have any value or worth to it. So I decided to just be my little rebellious self. Um, and then I spent, I spent years just kind of telling myself that and like my parents, here, and here's the other thing, not to shame my parents, I love my parents. My parents are both like believers now. They both go to church um, and like, I'm not trying to shame them. I'm just sharing like my testimony. And like through my rebellion, there was never really a conversation as to like what's going on in my heart. And frankly, I don't think that they had the tools that they needed to share that with me. You know, of course my parents were thinking like, well, we want you to be a Christian, but they, did not, they weren't prepared for the harvest. They did not have the tools prepared to bring me to God because they themselves were not prepared. And we have to realize that if we, if we take our salvation as simply like, I show up, I believe, and then nothing else. What, what, we, we're leaving off the great commission of Jesus, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Either way, uh, in my senior year of high school, uh, I started dating this young lady, and she was a Christian, and her family was Christian. Um, and eventually, I had to go meet her parents. And so we're going up to her apartment, and she's like, just so you know, my parents are Christians. And I was like, yeah, I know. And she's like, no, nah, they like Christians. And I was like, okay, what is, okay. Again, I wasn't like mad about it. I was just like, I'm not gonna believe what they believe. It's not a big deal. She's like, no, no, no. Like, they're like, they're like Christians. They like speaking tongues, Christians. They be like laying hands on people, Christians. And I was like, I was like, I heard laying hands and as a non-believer, what I hear, they're gonna touch me. Like, what do you mean? Like, why are they touching me? What do you mean laying hands on me? What do you mean speaking in tongues? Like, I took Spanish in high school, like, it's kind of like that. So we go into their apartment, and honestly, I don't remember that night that well. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like this super scary, impactful moment, because when I walked in, her father was not sitting on the couch with a shotgun across his lap. Uh, they were from California, so like, they don't have guns anyway. Um, <laughs> so there was no shotgun. There was no, like, him standing up shirtless just like, what are your intentions for my daughter? Like, none of that happened. The man, her father, Todd Barstad, stood up, shook my hand, walked me over to the table. We all sat down. We had dinner. We had very, like, lively conversation about music. He was, he was in a band uh, back in the 80s, and I was playing in a band and, like, played music, and so we talked about music a lot. Uh, and then I think we watched a movie or something, and then it was time for me to go. But before I left, he stopped, and he said, what, what are you doing tomorrow morning? 
and it was going to be Saturday the next day, and I was like, I don't have work until the evening, so like, I don't have anything to do tomorrow morning. He's like, why don't you come over and have breakfast with us? And I was like, okay. So we, I, I came over. We had little silver dollar strawberry pancakes. I'll never forget. I thought they were the cutest little things I've ever seen in my life. He had like one little pancake and just a slice of strawberry in there. Just It was more adorable. So anyway, <laughs> so we had little strawberry pancakes, and... I don't know, again, I don't know how like, we got to this place, but we all, it was me, Mr. Barstad, uh, my girlfriend at the time, and then her, so we broke up, by the way, like it's not Brie, just so you know, I'm like, just a spoiler alert. Um, 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 it was Mr. Barstad, myself, uh, my girlfriend at the time, and then her little sister, and we're all sitting in Mr. Barstad's room, sitting on his bed, we're all sitting like uh, legs crossed, and somehow the idea of blood came up. Um, I don't remember if maybe I mentioned something about a band or like Ozzy Osbourne biting bats' heads off and blood going everywhere. I don't remember. But I brought up blood. And Mr. Barstad asked me, he's like, do you understand the significance of blood? And I was like, I mean, I understand like if, it, if it's inside and if it goes outside, I die. Like I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's true, that's true. He's like, but do you understand the significance of blood and like why Jesus bled on the cross? And I was like, I have no idea. Like no one's ever, and in my head, I'm like, no one's ever told me. Like I have no, this is about to be Wackoville right now. Like, no, I don't understand. And he tied in without getting into too much detail and taking up too much time. He took the story of Abraham and how Abraham made a blood covenant with God. And then how the Israelites then had to make blood sacrifices to atone for their sins. And then how Jesus, once he bled, was the ultimate, perfect atonement. And I'm not telling, like, that was my moment where, like, God is up in heaven laughing because he's like, it's too late now. He's sold out now. Because it clicked. It made sense to me. Imagine that. Someone told me the gospel and all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't want it to seem obvious to him that I was like having a moment, but in my head and in my heart, I was like, oh no, this is real. Like it started to like make sense to me. I'm a very logical person, so I want things to like make sense. It's not always about like feelings with me. I always want things to like logically line up and make sense. And this was the most logical illustration I'd ever heard in my life. And I could not help but begin believing. Soon after that, um, my girlfriend at the time went to Australia for a missions trip, and she was going to be gone for six months. Um, and in that six months, I spent more time with her father than I did with my own family. If I wasn't at work, I was at Mr. Barstead's apartment, or we were at Starbucks, or he started inviting me to church, and I was like, sure, I guess I'll go. And then he started making me go to the men's group because it was 40 plus, and they were like, no children allowed. And he was like, Mitchell's coming anyway. So he would bring me to men's group, and then he would ask me to go to Wednesday night service with him. And not one time in that six-month span did that man ever tell me, you need to stop doing what you're doing and you need to start doing this. Not one time did that man try to, like, force baptize me in a fountain outside the church or anything. Like, never, never. And I think it's because God puts, God takes people and their unique circumstances and their, their unique lives that they've led, and they hook us up with other people who that resonates with. And what resonated with me with Mr. Barstad is not how much he knew of the Bible, which he knew a lot, was not how well he prayed, which he prayed well and often. What resonated with me was that he was willing to see me as an opportunity rather than the opposition. 
he was willing to take time out of his life, precious time, he was going through a divorce at the time, he had a brain aneurysm at the time, none of that stopped him from making time for me because he realized what was more important than all of that was making sure that my soul was saved. So he lived out the life of Christ for me so that I can see an example of what a Christ-like life looks like. So eventually, one Wednesday night, I remember leaving uh, church and he's, we're sitting in my driveway, he's about to drop me off, and we're listening to Toby Mac. That's not relevant, it's just part of the memory. Um, we're listening to Toby Mac, and I remember sitting there going, in my head, all of the things I've seen from my, my parents, my family, my culture that I'm surrounded by, I want nothing to do with. But if this man, if what he's saying is Christianity, if what he is saying is Jesus' love, if this is real, I want that. And that man led me to Christ that very night. I asked him, like, I want to be a Christian. Whatever you are. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. <laughs> and it is that important. I know, like, I, it is that important. Like, I don't want to, I'm going to get super sidetracked. Um, it is important that that man took time out of his life to save my life. No, his power is not what saved me. Jesus' power saved me. It is not our responsibility to save people but God gives us the opportunity to partner with him. And if you are not looking for opportunities, they are passing you by every second. Todd Barstad took time out of his life because he saw me as an opportunity, and it has changed my life forever. I would not be standing here without Todd Barstad making sacrifices to make sure that I knew Jesus and that I saw what Jesus was like. So that leads me to Pray for opportunities, because if you're, and I, and I know we've got our college kids in here, I know y'all are out like telling people about Jesus on the daily. I know that. I, I remember being in college and being like, I'll go tell the gas station attendant that Jesus loves them. Like, but all of us need to realize that there are opportunities right in front of you every single day to share the gospel with somebody. I grew up in the Bible Belt where everyone around me was a Christian, and I didn't hear the gospel until I was 18 years old. There's something wrong with that. Like, are you kidding me? I bet you there's people in China that probably hear the gospel much younger, and they're not supposed to. There's something wrong with our culture when we have a culture of, yep, we're all Christians, but we don't talk about it. I'm like, why? Why not? And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of us think like, well, when we're at church, this is, we're surrounded by believers. It is what it is. Like, let's help each other through struggles. And that's true. That's good. But there may be people in this very room who like, they have no idea what's going on. I, can I tell you, when, when Todd Barstad led me through the sinner's prayer, you know what my very next thought was? What's next? I don't know. There's no instruction manual in here of how this thing works. There's chapters, and I knew how to read. Pretty good. I'm an English teacher, you know. But, like, where do I start in all of this? Where do I start? There are people who are still young in their faith who have no idea how to read their Bible. And I don't mean like what language it's in. I mean like, where do you start? Todd Barstad sat down and, and read the Gospels with me umpteen times. I don't remember how many times I've read through the Gospels. People are around you need you to take time out of your life to sit with them and teach them how to read their Bible, how to pray. How to pray? Are you kidding me? Can you go tell somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is, go pray to God. They have no idea what that means. 
Go pray. What does that mean? They think it means like light candles and like burn a goat on an altar or something like that. Like they have no idea what prayer means. You have to show them. We have to show them. Recognize those opportunities. Um, I, I'm a, I say this probably every time I come up here. I'm a public school teacher. Um, I teach high schoolers, and they are crazy. This is like week four of school. Somebody's already told me they hope I die. Been flicked off. Been, I've been teaching nine years now. It just pings off. Just pings off. It's like, you hope I die? I hope you live. I love you. Gosh darn it. You're the best. I love you. Jesus loves you. And they're like, don't talk to me. <laughs> but one of the things about public school is that, um, you know, you have these teachers, and I was one of them at one point, trust me. You have these teachers who leave these classrooms of kids just giving it to them the whole class period, disrespectful, unkind, throwing stuff. Um, and they'll leave, and you'll go to, like, the, the planning room, or you'll, you'll go to somebody's classroom on their conference period, and they just go, oh, you I should hear what Billy said to me last period. He said I was ugly, and I couldn't read good, and I smelled like Doritos and whatever hateful things. I honestly can't repeat most of the things that they would actually say. Um, but they always say this phrase, and I've said this phrase before, they should know better. They should know better than to treat me like that. They should know better than to talk like that. They should know better than to act like that. Guess what? They don't. They don't. Most of the time because they don't have parents at home. Do you know how many kids I've sat with, asked them how their day was going, and they said, my dad got arrested last night, probably going to be locked up for 10 years. I talked to a kid on Friday. asked him, hey, what are you going to do this weekend? He goes, I don't know. I got kicked out last night. I guess I'm going to go sleep on the bench. 100%. Who's acting out in class? Him. Why is he acting out? Why not act out? Who gives a crap about school when your parents don't love you? They don't know better. And so I and other educators have to either choose to go and complain about it or do something about it. We look at these people in society. They might have different hair color than you, different skin color than you, different political beliefs than you. And you look at them and you go, ugh, they should know better. They don't. They don't know Jesus. What do you expect? What are you going to do about it? complain, shame them, hate them, talk trash about them at church, in your small groups? Or are you going to go save them? Go pray. Go talk to them. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, as a teacher, everyone that I work with hates making parent phone calls. I love making parent phone calls. Um, and I'll tell you why. Same reason I love having like, um, like the night where the parents come to school. What do you call that? I'm a teacher. What do I know? Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm a teacher, I don't even know what it's called. That night, you know why I love that night? Because nothing humanizes a child like seeing their parent. Like, you stop seeing that child as like the, the behavior that they're exuding. You stop seeing them as the annoying kid who never does anything, who sleeps in class, who cusses you out, and you start seeing them as a child who is a product of their parents. And that really humanizes them, and it really helps with empathy. So when I pick up a phone and I talk to a parent, a lot of the times I can go, yeah, I understand why your kid acts like this. I mean, to, to just be completely transparent, I understand why you act like this. I can tell by the way your parents just talk to me why you talk to me like that. And that's not to, like, say that that's okay, but it really helps you to empathize with where that child is. They don't know better a lot of the times. But God has presented you with a unique opportunity to show them what love looks like, what patience looks like, what grace looks like, what mercy looks like, what respect looks like. 
You have that opportunity. Stop complaining about the opportunity that God's throwing in your lap. And that moves me to my, my last point, which is like, now it's our opportunity to train others. So we've made sure that we're good laborers. We've, we've learned to recognize these opportunities. And now it's time to train others up so that they can become good laborers, that they can recognize opportunities, and then they can train others. It's just a giant circle. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, And the part that sticks out to me is in verse 19. Make disciples of all the nations, not converts. Disciples of the nations, um, and that word disciples in Greek is, I'm looking at Bo. He's, he's hiding. He's disappeared. It's like Matthias. Bo is going to yell at me later. It's Matthias. 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 Uh, it essentially means like, it, it is one who learns. It is, not, it is not a word that means like, you did it, now you're done. Like, it's not you are converted to Christianity and like, yep, now I'm a disciple. E. No, like you have work to do. A disciple is somebody who is an active learner, an active participant, an active believer who is growing in their belief and in their faith. So Jesus is not telling us, go disciple, or Jesus is not telling us, go make converts of the nation, because that would be easy. And be like, in Jesus' name you're healed, go away. In Jesus' name you're healed, go away. In Jesus' name you're healed, yay, you're Christians now. My job is done. And then what do they do? What do they do? Um, I, heard, I heard a pastor, he was giving an illustration one time. He said somebody came up to him and they were talking about his faith and like what his prayer life looks like and all that. And he told the pastor, man, I just want to make it in the door. Just want to make it in the door. Meaning like, I just want to make it to heaven. What a pathetic way to see a beautiful faith that we have. Because nothing else in our life do we approach with that same attitude. My marriage, just want to make it in the door. It's like... I'm here. You're locked in. Work done. And that's it. Really? Like, Brianna would not put up with me for a second if that was my attitude. Our children just want to make it, make it in the door. Heck, I don't, we don't even have to do much of the work. I mean, like, Bri has Hezzy, and I'm like, well, I helped. Go. <laughs> Grow up. Learn to feed yourself. No, we are supposed to be taking part in this responsibility. Jesus says, go and make disciples of the nation. Go teach them. Go show them. Again, my first thought after I converted was like, what now? What do I do? If Todd Barstad had been like, well, good six months, good luck. I'd be lost. I'd be lost. I'd have no idea where to go from there. Think about where you were as a new believer. What did you need? What did you need someone to teach you how to do? Frankly, I didn't, I didn't really need to be taught to pray because I saw Tard Barstad do it so much. That man prayed like crazy. He was that guy. Like, we'd be at the store, and he's looking for Velveeta cheese, and he doesn't see Velveeta. That man in the middle of Walmart in front of God and everybody would go, Jesus, we believe right now 
there is Velveeta in this store, and if you will lead us to it, we will find it. Some lady halfway down the aisle will go, it's two aisles over up on the top. And he would go, thank you, praises. Like, that's what kind of man Todd Barstad was. Seeing him pray over scripture, I knew how to pray when I first got converted because I saw Todd Barstad. I had somebody to show me what it looked like to pray. You can be that person to somebody. Bo Bilsing, Corey Carpentier, Keisha Matthews, right? Matthews? Yeah, Keisha Matthews. There are people in this world, in this room, who need those people to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. You are uniquely made. Your life circumstances have led you to this moment today to be a perfect image of God for somebody. You don't have to be Jesus. You just have to be the vessel. Empty yourself of all of your little insecurities. Ask God to fill you with his spirit and show you opportunities to bring people to him. I promise you. And sometimes... um, Sometimes these opportunities for evangelism may look more like relationships than moments. It may, more, it may look more like Todd Barstead and Mr. Mitchell Banks over the course of six months. It might look like that. It might look like, um, I was stand, I'll, I'll tell you this story and tell you how I failed to be disciplined so that you can not do what I did. Um, I think it was like last week, two weeks ago, I was standing in line at the gas station and there was a man in front of me, and God told me, pay for his stuff. And only he had like some chips and like a drink or something. And he was like, pay for his stuff. And I hesitated, and I went, why? And he said, well, it doesn't matter why, just do it. And I was like, uh. And then he started buying lottery tickets, which just made it like harder. I was like, wait a minute. Am I contributing to gambling, Lord? Is this you, Lord? Is this you? And so then I, I chickened out. I didn't. Like, I didn't do it. And I just felt like... I was so mad at myself. I left the gas station just like looking for people. I was like, who needs Jesus? I'll pray for you right now. I'm so sorry, Lord. Where are you? Do you need Jesus, lady? She's like, no, no, please. You need Jesus. (laughs) So like sometimes it'll be like those little moments. Sometimes it will be. And I don't know what was going on in my head or what was going on in my heart at the moment, but I was just, I was too nervous. I was too insecure. And you'll have those moments, and that's fine. But what I learned from that is, like, don't let any moment go away. Don't let any moment slip by. Any moment. And paying for that guy's groceries, I don't know if that, like, I doubt he would have been like, you want to tell me about Jesus? Like, I doubt that was going to happen. But the scriptures say, one will sow and another will harvest. And perhaps he just needed me to plant that seed. Perhaps he's asking you today, there is somebody in your life, all he's asking you to do, just plant the seed. Just plant the seed. Or maybe he's asking you to harvest. Maybe there's somebody in your life you know is this close to knowing Jesus and all, all you need is just to push. Maybe your life is an example to them and you've been pushing them and they just need that last little like, hey, where's your heart right now? Be, be bold. What's the worst they say? Don't talk to me, go away. Okay. I'll keep bugging you tomorrow. Like, um, I'll close with this before I get too long-winded and too drawn into other funny stories. Um, There's a quote by Chuck Swindoll. He says, fortunately, God made all varieties of people with a wide variety of interests and abilities. He has called people from every race and every color and who have been hurt by life in every manner imaginable. Even the scars of past abuse and injury can be the means of bringing healing to another. What wonderful opportunities to make disciples. Don't discount 
your life experience and don't count yourself out because of whatever you're going through. I was a punk kid throwing frozen burritos at stop signs, just having nothing to do with Christians. And God sent me Tard Barstad, and I love Jesus today more than anything in the whole world. Do not discount what you're going through. You are not, do not miss your opportunity. Don't miss your opportunity to give somebody what you have and you know what you so desperately need.